What is POT syndrome? What is dysautonomia? What is autonomic dysfunction? This disease or condition has been called a lot of different things. I had a really cool interview with this lady named Lisa. She just reached out to me. It was kind of random. She's like, hey, you know, I started a YouTube channel. Do you mind uh, if I interview you about POT syndrome? She's like, I know a lot of people with POT syndrome. I know you're like a uh, expert in POT syndrome. Do you mind if I, she's like, I watched a couple of your videos. You know, you know the most about POTS. She apparently like reached out or watched a lot of YouTube videos on POTS. And she's like, yours make the most sense. You seem like you know what you're talking about. People don't know this, but for probably the last 10 or 12 years, uh, I've become a POTS expert because I live in Toledo, Ohio. And the famous Dr. Blair Grubb lives here, who's like the world-renowned authority on POTS. And we share a lot of the same patients. And um, we obviously run into similar problems and take care of the same patients. So we kind of go back and forth. But definitely POTS syndrome is a fantastic, uh, not fantastic, it's a fantastic topic, but it's a horrible disease to have. And this was a really cool interview. I think you guys will like it. We talk about this a lot in the community because a lot of people have POTS syndrome and they're just gaslighted for years until they finally figure out what they actually have. And finally a doctor actually like treats it. So it's a rare condition, but definitely worth uh, discussing. So if you guys like these kind of topics, uh, just let me know. We'll, we'll talk more about this. If you want to discuss this further, we can talk about it in the uh, community. Go to drallo.net slash community. And that's where we go super in depth on all of these uh, topics. I think you'll enjoy this one. It was a really fun interview and I uh, hope you like it. Take care, y'all. See you on the other side. Peace. It is my honor to introduce you to this week's guest, Dr. Muhammad Allo. Dr. Allo is a board certified cardiologist, an assistant clinical professor of medicine, an author, and a certified personal trainer with the National Association of Sports Medicine. I will be linking his website and his informative YouTube channel down below in the description box for your reference. Welcome, Dr. Allo. Hey, thanks for having me. How are you? I'm great. Um, so can we just start off with uh, what exactly is postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, also known as POTS? Can you break it down exactly what that is? Yeah, so POTS, the actual definition is like what you said, postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. It's when you stand up, your heart starts racing, um, devoid of any other symptoms. It's not like your blood pressure drops, anything else. Those are different things. People usually say they have POTS for a multitude. You know, there's, there's like a whole class of problems that people have that they usually refer to as POTS. Um, the, the, the overall disease state or term that we use is called autonomic dysfunction or dysautonomia. It basically means that your autonomic nervous system is not functioning correctly. Um, the autonomic nervous system is in charge of your blood pressure, your appetite, your heart rate, you know, fight or flight responses. Um, part of your autonomic system, this, you know, there, there's two parts, but the, the one part of it is voluntary movements. You want to move your hand, you know, you, you tell your brain and your body knows, you know, you want to do that. Um, the other part is the parts that are not, they're called auto, auto, like automatic almost, your, your breathing, your, you know, hormone release, stuff like that. You don't really control. Sometimes, unfortunately, they control you. 
Um, but a lot of these things are not the control parts. These are the parts of you that work kind of behind the scenes. Um, that's the part that becomes dysregulated or dysfunctional. And that's why we call it dysautonomia. Like it's not working um, the way it's supposed to. And there's two parts to the autonomic nervous system. There's the sympathetic um, and there's the parasympathetic. The parasympathetic is the parts that usually uh, try to slow things down. This is like trying to put you to sleep, slows down your breathing, lowers your blood pressure. Um, the sympathetic part is kind of like the part that excites everything. You, you, it raises your blood pressure. It, ra it, it in increases your fear response. It wants you to run or fight or flight. And then the other one's called like rest or digest. Like, you know, wants to slow everything down and, and help you digest. Um, so POTS is a problem or dysautonomia in general where um, your heart rate isn't regulated. <clears throat> Excuse me. Your heart rate isn't regulated and your blood pressure is not being regulated correctly. Most of the patients with POTS usually come in saying they're dizzy. Um, and some will even pass out. If your blood pressure gets low enough, you'll pass out. Or if your heart rate gets high enough and you don't have uh, good enough compensatory mechanisms, you uh, can actually pass out from this. Um, but people with POTS or dysautonomia have a lot of symptoms and some of them are vague. Um, they'll be fatigued, they're tired, they'll have brain fog, they'll uh, not be able to do certain things. I mean, there, it's a whole multitude, cold intolerance is one of them, heat intolerance. Um, they feel dehydrated or fatigued or just worn out. Like, And, and then sometimes they get shortness of breath um, on exertion. They say, well, every time I go out and try to do this, I get super short of breath or lightheaded or dizzy. Um, it's not that common of a disease. It's actually quite rare. I don't know the exact numbers, um, but I'd say if I saw a hundred patients a day, maybe one or two would have it. Um, and it's usually 10 to one female to male ratio. Usually for every 10 women that have it, one male will. And I have had male clients or male patients uh, with it. Um, it, the, the, the biggest problem with dysautonomia is it's, it's hard to, to diagnose. A lot of people will have seen a multitude of doctors. They will have seen the neurologist, the psychologist, the rheumatologist, the whateverologist, every ologist you can imagine, <laughs> yeah. until they finally uh, see a cardiologist. And, and even when you see a cardiologist, not all of us are uh, trained or understand uh, POT syndrome. Um, mm -hmm. certainly it's not like a major topic in medical school. Um, I would say, I don't even remember ever reading about mm -hmm. it, uh, mm -hmm. in medical school, or it was, it was just not something we talked about. Um, and not every, uh, cardiologist or physician when they're going through training even hears about it. Um, it, it's that rare. It's like one of those things maybe you read about, but you're like, you never give it a second thought. Um, it's, it's super rare. So, so would you say that it's, um, so it's poorly understood even by, a lot of the medical right. profession. Like most of the patients that I've seen for POTS and I have people have flown in from all over to come see me because they view me as someone who knows about POTS and I'm on the like dysautonomia network and like all, all over the internet. When you search for this disease, there's a list of physicians that, that deal with it. Um, somehow I ended up on those lists, but, but it is, it is very underdiagnosed. And then even when it is diagnosed, no one knows what to do with it. Um, you'll have, a family doctor, lots of them, they'll say, hey, you know, you probably have POTS. And they'll refer somebody to me, say, you know, question POTS. And the patient will come to me, like, the story's always the same. I've been to a lot of doctors, and I have this, this, and that. I have these, you know, five, ten different things, and I think it's POTS. 
you know, what do you think? Mm-hmm. Um, so we first have to make sure they don't have like an underlying serious condition um, that they don't have like aortic stenosis or mitral stenosis, or, you know, there's a multitude of different things, really bad, poorly controlled diabetes or hypertension, or they're a lot of times they're just being overdosed on blood pressure meds. The elderly patients that we get that come in with these type of symptoms where they're always lightheaded and dizzy and maybe passing out, maybe not passing out. A lot of times it's, they're on too much blood pressure meds. And if we take them away, um, they actually get better because now there's perfusion going to your brain. If your pressure is like 80 or 90 or 110, the problem is, especially with the elderly is they come in to see the cardiologist, your pressure usually goes up. Most patients, Mm -hmm. when they go to see the doctor, the pressure goes up a little, but when they're at home and getting their pressure checked, if you were to check it at home, they'd be much lower. They'd be 10, 15, even 20 points lower. Um, so they're always lightheaded and dizzy at home. They're like in the 90s, 95. They come in to see us. It's like 115, 120. You're like, oh, you know, your pressure looks real good. Um, but then they go home and it's it's much lower. So you first have to make sure it's not some kind of problem like that. If it's too much blood pressure meds, we start taking some away and see how they feel. That's usually the number one issue, um, especially diuretics. Um, things that dehydrate you or make you pee more, those are obviously uh, more likely to to cause, you know, dehydration and volume status, and you won't be getting enough pressure or cardiac output going to your brain and organs that keep you awake and alive and uh, keep your blood pressure up. There's also a lot of other medical conditions that give you dysautonomia, like Parkinson's is one of them. People with Parkinson's disease always have blood pressures when standing that are pretty low. And then when they lay down at night, and that's the problem is they usually get their blood pressure checked at night or like when they're laying in bed or sitting in a seated position, their pressure is higher. Mm -hmm. So the issue is trying to figure out if they have one of these other conditions, like Ehlers-Danlos is one of them. I know there's a bunch, there's at least five you can just uh, think of, Um, but there's a lot of conditions that can uh, causes. So we're, I'm assuming that what you're referring to is POTS that's not related to any one of these medical conditions, because those can be treated. If you have mm-hmm. bad diabetes, we can fix it. If you have Parkinson's, there's medications we can put you on. If you have, you're dehydrated on water pills and overdose on blood pressure meds, we can usually uh, treat, get rid of those meds and just see how you do. I mean, we, we just had a lady last week, probably an 80 year old uh, female was always dizzy. We took her off one of her blood pressure meds. Her dizziness went away. I mean, things like that can be treated and fixed. The other type of POTS, which is, or dysautonomia that most people have, they're usually younger. Um, like I said, they're mostly women and they're premenopausal. You know, once you're over like 50 or 60 and you're no longer um, uh, having periods, then it's not as much of an issue. Um, but for whatever reason, it's usually the 25. The childbearing. Right. 20, 20s to like 45-ish, uh, somewhere in that range. Um, there are obviously some that are lower and higher. I mean, I have I had two kids that were like 17 and 18 that had it, uh, two siblings, a brother and a sister. Um, they were twins. Um, but that that's usually the, the people that come in and say, hey, you know, this is what I think I have. What can we do about it? Um, so that that's kind of what I, I think you're referring to. And this this video is probably going to benefit those people the most because the other stuff, you know, you see me or your medical doctor, whoever it might be, and they take you off some meds, treat the other stuff, get your diabetes under control, treat the Parkinson's, whatever it might be, and, and you get better. Um, so the, the approach to a POTS patient would be to figure out what symptom is actually bothering them the most. Um, is it the dizziness? Is it the brain fog? Is it the lightheadedness? Um, 
the, the first thing is to figure out what is actually bothering them. Because if they're coming in saying, my heart races and, it, and it's annoying, and then we treat them to raise their blood pressure, that, that kind of makes no sense. Or if they say, whenever I'm in a stressful situation, uh, my heart starts racing and I get faint. Okay, well, that, that's different. Maybe they have anxiety or something else that's mm-hmm. not, not addressed um, appropriately. So you have to figure out what first is actually causing their problems. And then we, we try to treat those symptoms specifically. And we try to do it first without any medications. Um, we've, we found some things that, that work and help without medications. Um, mm-hmm. Staying hydrated, for example. Sometimes you'll have somebody who's outside all the time. They're dehydrated. They don't get enough mm-hmm. electrolytes or, or, you know, they've been out, you know, they're at, they're at the amusement park or at a baseball game for six hours or whatever it might be, drinking tons of beer, not, not getting hydrated mm-hmm. or like a referee. Sometimes it'll be a referee yeah, at, at a game, not wearing compression socks or, or at, you know, those tight athlete type socks and they're lightheaded, dizzy, they're dehydrated, they're sweating out all their electrolytes but they're not replenishing them. They're just standing there. They might be the umpire at a baseball game, whatever it might be. So those kind of things we can fix with uh, lifestyle. Okay. So if you're going to be refing today, make sure you get plenty of fluids before you go drink a Gatorade, eat some more salt, you know, whatever it might be. Um, wear compression socks. Um, those kind of things definitely uh, help. If that's all normal and you're doing all that and you're not, you're staying hydrated, you're, you're, you're doing really well. But the problem is more of a heart rate issue, like like POTS, like the actual POTS, where you stand up and your heart races. It goes up by like 30 mm-hmm. points without your blood pressure dropping. Mm-hmm. That's the definition of POTS. If your blood pressure doesn't drop, but your heart races when you stand up. Um, people who have that, there's a few things we can do. One of them is to try to have them exercise more. There's a few different exercise protocols that have been tested that seem to help. It kind of desensitize you to tachycardia. Um, as you know, like well-conditioned athletes, their heart rates are usually lower. They may even be like in the thirties when sleeping. Um, but a lot of times you get a patient who's a marathon runner, runs five Ks or, you know, very athletic and well-conditioned, their heart rates are like in the fifties routinely. That's not a big deal. So what we try to do is get these people whose heart is racing to just condition themselves better. Now, if they're always super dizzy when they stand up, we have them do like a recumbent bike or a rowing machine or something where you're sitting down doing it, maybe swimming. Um, some way of getting better conditioned that doesn't involve you standing up because you might not tolerate that because your heart starts racing, you start getting faint and dizzy. We, the last thing we want somebody to pass out doing some, uh, exercise, right? So we'll have them do something that's low intensity at first in a recumbent position, like a seat, like on a bike or something where they're sitting, like the recumbent bikes, not the Mm -hmm. usual bike. There's one where you almost, almost like laying down. Mm-hmm. Um, but try to get their heart rate up to kind of desensitize them to their own tachycardia. That seems to help. Um, they should stay hydrated, drink Gatorade, salt tablets help. Um, in some of these people, it's a matter of just electrolytes, get enough potassium and salt. And that sort of fixes, um, the problem. So you want to find out mainly what's bothering them. In other cases, it's a blood pressure problem where it's not the heart racing. It's the issue. It's that their, their blood pressure is much lower um, then, then they'd like, and, you know, throughout the day, especially when standing up and whatever, then we, we have a few things we can do to raise their blood pressure, compression socks. Um, and they don't have to be those goofy looking white ones. None of my patients, when you tell them compression socks, like, Oh yeah, I want to wear compression <laughs> socks, those ugly white things. There, there's really nice 
ones that come in different colors. They go up to your knees. Some of them go a little bit up like higher, like mid thigh. Um, but you want to get like really good compression to force the blood in the veins. Cause a lot of times it's a uh, vein pooling problem when they stand up with gravity. Um, some of the valves in the veins, they're supposed to be one-way valves. They're not competent. They stay mm -hmm. open or they don't close like they should. So blood will pool down at like your legs, your ankles, whatnot. You want that to come back up. So one way to kind of like force that is to wear compression socks, which force so that when your heart beats, the blood circulates back up your legs and doesn't pull uh, down there with gravity. So that's one uh, method that seems to work for people who have low blood pressure. Um, staying hydrated to increase your blood volume uh, mm -hmm. always works. Salt tablets and electrolyte drinks, um, especially like zero calorie ones, because you don't want people just pounding, you know, high sugar. drinks mm -hmm. all the time. But like the zero calorie ones, salt tabs, potassium tabs, all that kind of stuff definitely helps. Um, if you've done all that and they still need a little bit more, there, there's some medication options that, that we can use uh, to help. If it's a low blood pressure problem, um, there's two medications. One is called, well, there's three. There's one called midodrine, which just sort of raises your pressure by causing your blood vessels to constrict and that causes your blood pressure to go up. Um, there's one called fludrocortisone, which is a, a slight steroid, like a weak steroid that helps you retain your own salt and makes you retain salt, thereby retaining a little bit of fluid and then your blood pressure naturally goes up. Um, the other one's a new one called Northera, which releases something similar to, to adrenaline or, or epinephrine called norepinephrine. It releases some of that, which causes your blood vessels to also constrict a little um, and your heart to pump just a little more to kind of like get that pressure uh, to go up. Um, so those are three options if the person mainly has low blood okay. pressure. So let me ask you, um, when you're, we're looking at, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, sorry. The, I didn't mean to cut you off, but um, That's okay. if their problem is mainly a, a tachycardia problem where it's a heart rate problem where their heart is racing all the time, there's, a, there's some medications we can use to lower just their heart rate. Um, there's, there's metoprolol and atenolol. These are beta blockers that mostly affect uh, heart rate, um, propranolol, and some of the other ones, unfortunately, also affect blood pressure, which if somebody's already having low blood pressure and feels like they're going to pass out and you put them on something to lower their heart rate and now they're lightheaded and dizzy because you just lowered their pressure too, that can be a problem. Um, there's a new medication called Corlinor, um, which mainly lowers your heart rate. There's, there's things called calcium channel blockers, diltiazem, probably the main one that the problem with these a lot of times they also could lower blood pressure now the, the best two out of these probably are metoprolol and atenolol because they don't affect blood pressure as much or or, or at all um and so sometimes you have to approach this from like all all aspects do all the lifestyle stuff get your electrolytes you know mm -hmm. fluid hydration we might need to help you out with a little bit of a medicine to increase your blood pressure a little bit to drop your heart rate um but sometimes if it's anxiety driven, like some people, it, it's more like anxiety driven, um, even imperceptible anxiety. Sometimes it's just the anxiety of fear of passing out um, or fear of being able to go to work and not pass out or not feel lightheaded or, or be able to perform. Um, so sometimes a, a slight mild like anti-anxiety medication because anxiety, um, it's a two-edged sword. You, you have, you notice your heart racing, you get a little anxious about it, which releases adrenaline, which makes your heart race even more which makes you more anxious, which releases more adrenaline. It's like a, it's like a cycle, mm -hmm. it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. And you want to try to attack both angles. We can put a speed limit on their heart with something like metoprolol 
and we can knock out the anxiety with something like Celexa or, or whatever. Um, so it, it affects every part, every part of the body, basically every system is affected by POTS. Is that safe to say? Basically. Yeah. Your autonomic system and your nervous system obviously is in every single organ, every single body part, your brain, arms, mm-hmm. limbs, every, your stomach, your right digestion, your intestines, your pretty much. Yeah. Everything. And a lot of this, um, what I've read about POTS is that it's episodic. People would have episodes. Maybe it's better some days, worse some days. And then sometimes it's invisible. Like people can't understand why you're tired all the time or why you uh, might have this brain fog and they don't know, or even the anxiety and don't realize that it's not anxiety. It's actually their heart rates going up. And so it becomes really hard to maybe uh, diagnose it based on, you know, the variety of symptoms you can have. Yeah, it it can be very, very difficult. I mean, I'm telling you the majority of patients that uh, come to me for POTS, pretty much self-diagnosed. They've gone to a million doctors, read about it online. And then they're, this is like their last ditch effort. Like, hey, I think I have POTS. No one has been able to help me so far. Can you help me? Um, so that's usually the problem is it has sometimes very nondescript features. Like you said, they're just fatigued, weak, tired all the time, short of breath. They think they're just out of shape or they don't exercise enough or they need to lose weight or they need to do mm-hmm. this or do that. And a lot of times, obviously it's not just that there's, there's more to it. Um, but yeah, it's difficult to diagnose because it affects so uh, many uh, systems. Um, yeah. That's, that's, why really so, make- that's why it's so important to get a second opinion. If you think you are dealing with it and you kind of read the symptoms and nobody's believing you or your doctor's not believing you or saying it's anxiety or whatever, you want to make sure that, you know, biologically, you know, all those tests check out before you, you know, call it. Right. And also before we, before we even tell, before we like fully say, okay, yes, you have POTS. We obviously run all the cardiac stuff. We do an echocardiogram to make sure they're, you know, don't have a leaky valve or a tight valve or a weak heart or not weak heart, you know, whatever. We check all the organic stuff. We have them wear a heart monitor for two days or even longer sometimes to make sure they're, that they're not like really having a bad heart rhythm or a dysrhythmia or something serious going on. We want to make sure we rule all that stuff out first. Um, after that is usually when we say, okay, we've ruled out all the other stuff. Um, all the other stuff is taken care of. It's probably POTS at this point. Here's our option. So we can try non-pharmacological things and, and all that. And then sometimes people need IV infusions. Um, one of the some of our patients, they're, they're, no matter what we've tried, they couldn't tolerate this medicine or that medicine, and they couldn't do this and that. But if we infuse them with a liter of normal saline once or twice or three times a week, that fixes the problem. And then they feel great for like the next two or three days, and then they need another infusion. So we've actually had to put in like ports, um, almost like a chemo port, like people get chemo you know, infused once a week or whatever. They get like a little port, they go to the infusion center, and all they get is infused with saline. And that helps for some people that that's all it takes just that little bit of um, it's nine grams of salt, usually in a bag of saline. Um, but that salt plus the fluid increases their plasma volume, increases their blood pressure, and they feel great for a few days. Um, so it, it really just kind of depends on what the patient actually has and what's bothering them the most. Yeah, yeah it, can, it can be tricky. Yeah. Um, so you had said as far as risk factors, young females, especially childbearing age is a risk factor. Um, how about chronic fatigue syndrome? Is that a risk factor for POTS? So the, the problem is it, it, 
it can be anything. The, the, uh, if you look at what sort of trigger spots, first of all, we don't always know. Um, but usually it's some kind of life altering event, um, which, which is like a stressful kind of life event. It's not, you know, like, and sometimes there is no thing. Like a lot of times it'll be like, I lost my job or I just got divorced or I just had a kid and I didn't want to, or I just found out that it was, you know, my kid has brain cancer or like, you know, whatever it might be. Sometimes it's like some life stressor that triggers it. COVID recently has been triggering. That's what I was going to ask too. Yeah. They've been going a lot of patients who, like I saw uh, one of my patients hasn't had symptoms since 2013, hasn't even seen me since 2013. We got her better. She's feeling great. The pots went away. Um, just had COVID six months ago, comes in with, that's like starting up all over again. So we go back, well, what worked for you when you first had it? Let's go back to some of those things. Um, but you- I understand that it's um, like people with long COVID, like are having to yeah, deal with some of this right. pots. It's the long, it's the long haulers. And, and they're obviously similar young females, you know, 50 and below, usually 20 to 50, somewhere in that range. Um but men can get it too, but yeah. Yeah. Men get it too. And I've had, you know, a few of those here and there with COVID post COVID I've had more uh, men have it um, usually. And a lot of times with these things, stress like uncovers it like diabetes, for example, most people, if you have type two diabetes, you have it genetically, we could test you at birth and find out. But when you live your life and like, let's say you get put on steroids for like a breathing issue or, or birth control or, you gain a bunch of weight or any kind of like stressor uncovers it. Now we, now your diabetes is like full blown or blood sugars are going up. You know, when you get put on steroids for like a respiratory thing um, now we see your blood, your blood sugars are elevated and it kind of like uncovered type two diabetes. So COVID and some of these like life stressors, you might've had like underlying brewing dysautonomia. And then when one of these things hits, it's like that second hit. And now it's like full blown, I feel tired all the time. I can't do anything. I'm always lightheaded. I'm always dizzy. I can't I don't yeah. know what to do. So it kind of like brings it out. Um, it's good that now we have a diagnosis and can help you. Yeah. Um, so even like the flu virus could be related oh, yeah. to it. Like that's what's so infuriating about it is like, we're all at risk then technically. I was just reading an article about um, people who have head trauma, concussions can also experience POTS. And so right. there's- or, or brain surgery. Sometimes they'll, they'll remove a tumor or something. Um, and then it uncovers POTS or they have POTS like symptoms or syndrome. Um, but yeah, a lot of things can definitely trigger it. And we don't really understand that's the issue. That's the problem. We don't know, like if we could figure this out and say, okay, here's what you need. Now you just need this little thing, or we can just stimulate this and it'll go away. Or you read this one card. I don't know. Um, but unfortunately there's not very rarely POTS patients will need a pacemaker. Um, there's a special kind of pacemaker that works just for this. It's incredibly rare. I think we've, I've only, uh, I've been doing this now since 2011 or 2012. I think only two of my patients that I've ever seen have needed that to treat POTS, but it's also, it's super rare, but it, it can help in some people. It just kind of depends. Um, Is there yeah. a genetic um, vulnerability for POTS? It seems like it. Yeah. It, there definitely seems to be like, but, but it's not like your, your mother or father definitely had POTS and they would have had other things that are like, we find it more like the depression, anxiety uh, class of um, psychiatric illnesses. They have like class A, B, and C, but the group that has like anxiety, depression, bipolar, that, that collection of um, mm. psych, psych diagnoses. And those are genetic and you can, transfer them on 
those that that those seem to like be transferred more in people with POTS usually have a parent with one of those. Not necessarily though. I've seen plenty of patients that have their parents are have none of these things. So it, it really just depends. Unfortunately, it's a super elusive uh, disease diagnosis treatment. We we don't really um, have like an absolute solution. We kind of just treat the symptoms, and it's like more supportive care just to get you like, so you can function on a day-to-day basis without suffering. So you can actually go hold down your job without having to like, I got to take a break, you know, lay down and put your feet up for 15 minutes. Like, you know, we've had people do that. They start getting like head dizzy. They put their feet down. We've had to write a note for them saying, Hey, look, whenever uh, she's feeling lightheaded or dizzy, you know, you have to give her five, 10 minutes to like lay down on the floor and put her feet up, you know, or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it, it can definitely be, um, it can affect your quality of life. That's the issue. For sure. And it, in, it can go undiagnosed for years. People can uh, be living with this. And like you said, it truly affect their quality of life uh, and their work life. Um, so you had mentioned about the tests and diagnosing. I have a quick question. So is one of the tests ha- determined by how many beats per minute it, your, your heart raises when you like stand up? Is it like 30 beats, 40 beats? It's, is there like a set number? Yeah, it's 30, but I mean, it's, it's more it's not like an absolute number. So if somebody stands up and their heart rate for no reason jumps up by 18, does that okay. mean they don't, they don't have it? No. I mean, you kind of, is it debilitating? That's the question. If their their heart rate goes up by 25 and they feel lightheaded and dizzy and like they can't function, then sure. We have to fix that or treat it or, you know, find a solution. 30 is kind of like what we've generally used as a cutoff. Um, there are other tests. There's something called a tilt test. Now this is like a bed where you lay flat on a bed and then we strap you in so you don't fall if you pass out. And then we bring you up to 90 degrees and we monitor your heart rate and your blood pressure, you know, the whole time while you're doing it, because sometimes it reveals itself as, you know, we want to know is your heart rate dropping or is your heart rate dropping to 20? And that's why you're passing out when you stand up or is your heart rate going to 220 and then you're going into a funny heart rhythm. And that's why you feel like you're going to pass out. Or is it, your blood pressure drops, we, we put you up and your pressure drops to 70, then that's a reason um, that you may be lightheaded and dizzy and passing out, which it may not be related to the heart rate at all. So in some cases, uh, a tilt test can be helpful. Um, we don't use it that often because a lot of times, just based on how the patient describes it, you can kind of tell what they have and what, what approach we need. Um, to treat it. So if they're saying, oh, I'm always lightheaded and dizzy, you know, my, my check my blood pressure and it drops to 70, but my heart rate's still like 60, then, then we know. Or if they say, you know, this thing happens first, my heart races or my heart rate drops, like whatever. My nowadays people have like Fitbits and smartwatches that are pretty good at getting their heart rate. Um, so we always confirm it. Obviously we have them wear a monitor to confirm it because it's not all those things. None, not all of them are, you know, that mm-hmm. accurate. Um, but if it's something that's easy to diagnose by exactly how they're telling you, we don't generally... Um, need a tilt test, but it is available and, and we've done them if, if we feel like we need to do it. Okay. And um, I know you'd mentioned some uh, treatment management um, techniques. Can POTS be cured or do you always have the possibility of it coming back? So it really can't be cured. So studies have shown that like 84% of people, it eventually goes away, um, which means like 15, 16%, it, it kind of doesn't. Um, I usually tell my patients that, and, and, and this is, there, there's, there's tons of research on it and you'll find stuff that says, you know, this percentage of that. I found that 
most people in three to six months, it gets a whole lot better. Once we kind of put them on the treatment plan, whether it's lifestyle, compression stockings, salt, electrolytes, whatever, or infusions or medications, like whatever it might be. In three to six months, I tell them, you per, this probably isn't going to be bothering you anymore. Like you, you should be able to live your life how you want. Um, with, um, in about a year and a half, um, in, in most people, it'll probably go away. There's, there's some people that'll have it three to five years. Um, but I tell most people definitely within five years, you probably won't have this. Um, there seems to be like a, a really bad symptomatology up front. And then like, as time goes on, it kind of wanes away or gets much, much better. Um, and then eventually kind of goes away. Um, there are some people that I have that have had it for a long time, but it's like so much better. You know, the, the, those, that five to 10, maybe 15% of people that are long haulers or have it even after age 50, which is rare, but I, I do have some, it's pretty much over and then they're not really symptomatic, but it's, it just kind of lingers. Like every once in a while they get a little, you know, loo- doozy or lightheaded or whatever. Um, but for the most part, I'd say anywhere from most, for most people, three months to a year and a half, it'll probably be like tremendously better. And then maybe three to five years of it slowly getting better. And then, and then for most people probably going away. Yeah. So um, you had mentioned that exercise is a good management technique. And I would imagine those who are experiencing POTS have to deal with the lethargy and the dizziness and, you know, fear of fainting and all those different symptoms that can make it difficult for them to exercise. And so I was reading that maybe they have to like exercise in a, in a laying down position, you know, if if they're having really severe um, symptoms, but you can still exercise and you should, because you don't want to get deconditioned. Right. Well, it, it, uh, it kind of depends, but yeah, there are exercise bikes where you're almost laying down. You're like sitting in a chair, almost like Mm -hmm. reclines back recumbent. Right. Recumbent bikes and you try to get your heart rate up. A rowing machine can kind of do that too, although it's not as stable because you can kind of use your whole body to go back and forth. Um, Swimming is one of those things that uh, because you're not like technically standing, you're like flat and swimming. Yeah, uh, that seems to help. There's there's been a few different exercise protocols tested, um, some of them out of Texas. Um, They've been published and they do work. so it kind of depends. We obviously don't want, you know, the, the person's not going to become an elite athlete. Although I've seen some people that eventually start running five K's and it's under control. Um, whatever it was that, that was happening to them seems to have resolved or has gotten better. Like, let's say they were under, in a really bad job situation where their boss was overbearing or whatever it might be. They change jobs. The stress of that part kind of goes away. And then they slowly get adjusted to like, living without the fear or stress of that job or that boss or whatever it is. And then it like slowly fades away. Those are the ones that are um, more anxiety uh, driven, but it kind of just depends, but yeah, you definitely need to try to still be active yeah, um, because that helps conditioning your heart to tachycardia to make it less tachycardic um, and, and, and to desensitize yourself from your own tachycardia is very, very helpful. We definitely need to, people doing that. Yes. And we all hear messages about having a, you know, low salt intake diet, but in this case, that's not the advice. Can you explain why salt is very important for POTS uh, patients? So the, the reason it is, it's the same reason why we tell people with high blood pressure to eat less salt is because it lowers your blood pressure. Um, 
Salt is a little bit tricky when it comes to hypertension. Some people are more salt sensitive than others. Um, but in general, they found that if you lower your sodium intake, your blood pressure will go down. So obviously, we've also discovered that if you increase your sodium intake, your blood pressure will go up. So one non-pharmacological uh, way of raising your blood pressure would be to eat salt. Now, it, you could eat a bag of salty chips, um, which has high calories and more fat, and it's fried usually. But if the person is thin and not overweight, like, like a lot of my patients that have this that are younger, they're not obese, they're not overweight, they're healthy young individuals, good body mass index. If they want to eat a bag of chips because it just makes the salt more palatable, sure, just you know, make sure you're just not like you know eating tons of it. Um, but they do sell tablets of salt. Mm -hmm. They they do sell salt tablets that come in like one gram, five gram, ten grams. We tell people to try to get between five and ten grams a day because that seems to be the dose that keeps your pressure enough that keeps the symptoms at bay. Um, but yeah, salt definitely works. It will definitely raise your pressure. Um, and that fludrocortisone medication that we talked about, it's a uh, uh, steroid, um, similar to like prednisone, dexamethasone, whatever, but there's two different kinds of steroids, and mineral corticoids and glutocorticoids. Fludrocortisone makes you retain salt a little bit more, and like we're not talking like a whopping amount, but, but usually just enough to get your uh, blood pressure to go up. Um, some people require just one pill a day, sometimes two, three, or sometimes four a day is the most I've seen. Um, the problem with being on that much fludrocortisone is it makes you, it could lower your potassium because it it, hold, it hangs on to a sodium uh, particle and, and excretes a potassium particle. So we just have to make sure that their potassium stays normal range. We, we check it every once in a while and make sure that they also take potassium if they need it. Um, what about magnesium? Magnesium has the opposite effect. It usually lowers your blood pressure. So that would probably be a bad idea um, in, in POTS. Now, there, there are some studies that have shown that magnesium can help with certain arrhythmias. Um, none of those studies have really panned out that it reduces mortality and like really helps or anything. You definitely want to make sure your magnesium is normal. Taking extra magnesium here and there is not usually, you're not going to overdose on it, but magnesium at whopping doses can lower your blood pressure. I mean, women who are preeclamptic and, and you know they're giving birth and their blood pressure is super high and we have to induce them or get their blood pressure down quickly, we infuse them with tons and tons of magnesium to drop their pressure. So magnesium can lower uh, your pressure. In fact, the, the way you know you're toxic, like you're getting a toxic dose of magnesium, whether it's IV or, or whatever, when, when a woman is preeclamptic or taking too much magnesium, one way we know is the first side effect or the first bad effect they get is their blood pressure drops. You know, all the other magnesium toxicities happen later, but then the first thing that happens is your blood pressure drops. So we, we probably shouldn't use that um, in this scenario. Okay. There are, other, there are other ways to lower your blood pressure um, much more reliably and safely um, with metoprolol, atenolol, diltiazem, corlinor, which is ivaridabine. Um, there's other ways to lower your, your, your heart rate without, or, or even like putting a speed limit on your heart rate without dropping your pressure. And the key is to get the heart rate down or put a speed limit on so it doesn't race as much without dropping blood pressure with it. Yes. And I would imagine that good stress management techniques come into play here because you have to be very mindful not to get upset or adrenalized if you have this condition. So maybe turn off the news, you know, get away from your blue light computer at night. Like there's lots of things you can do to kind of lower your stress that will help, you know, manage some of these symptoms as well. Right. 
any any way of managing anything that triggers an adrenaline rush. I mean, even caffeine, sometimes exercise. You put somebody on a treadmill, yeah, their heart's going to race. Exercise, caffeine, chocolate, any stimulant, fear, a gun goes off or fireworks. Like, I don't know. There's lots of things that can trigger an adrenaline rush, which could trigger the tachycardia uh, part of it. But usually with, with those kind of adrenaline rushes, your blood pressure also uh, comes up. Um, but yeah, stress management is huge. And, and any non-pharmacological ways of dealing with stress definitely help massages, acupuncture, sauna, um, taking yourself out of the situation. If it's a job or an argument, a, a fight, yeah, a fight breaks out or an argument with a spouse or a loved it's one, not worth it. <laughs> just get out and go relax and take care of yourself first. You know, everyone else can come after you. If you're not functioning and not able to, to function or, or live or be there to support your loved ones. What's, what's the point of, you know, having these huge arguments with everyone? Yeah, but definitely um, stress, any way you can remove or lower or decrease stress would definitely help. Now, you, there are there are studies that have shown like really long massage or, you know, whatever might drop your blood pressure. So you definitely want to also not overdo it with like staying in a sauna too long because really high temperatures, yeah. um, people with dysautonomia, like even a hot shower can drop your blood pressure because it dilates your vaso, your uh, peripheral veins, your capillaries, you dilate out and then your central blood pressure drops and you're lightheaded and dizzy in the shower. A lot of times they, people discover this in a really hot shower or sauna. So you also don't want to like do something that's so relaxing that your blood pressure drops either. So would cold showers be good for POTS? Yeah. A cold shower would, would definitely help. Um, putting an ice pack on like your, your arms or armpits or, you know, your, per, your peripheral veins definitely uh makes a difference because it causes you to vasoconstrict mm -hmm. uh, similar to how those tight uh compression socks would do um definitely okay so i know the the most like severe cases require a wheelchair possibly a walker um have you worked with patients that are that severe yeah we i've had a few that are that bad um but those are super rare. I, I have one, like the, the one that, that um, I was telling you about that gets the infusions uh, every week, a few times, three times a week. That patient, and, you know, I, there's HIPAA laws. I can't really say much, but we've had patients that were wheelchair bound. Um, they were wheeled into the office every time. Uh, and then we tried different medications, fludrocortisone, midodrine, metoprolol, every medicine caused a side effect and they weren't able to... Uh, take them because of various side effects from each one. Uh, each one had its own side effects. So the infusions actually was the perfect solution. They go into the infusion center, get infused with a liter or two liters of normal saline. Boom, they're up, walking around, walking the dog, going back to school, like whatever it might be. Um, that really helps in, in those situations. But, but it's rare in the 10 years that I've been doing this, maybe one or two patients had the wheelchair issue, but we found a way around it and a way to, to make it work. Okay, cool. So what would be the, the outlook for POTS? You, do you think that we will see more cases on the rise or less? <laughs> I think we're seeing it more often because physicians and nurse practitioners and, and people are more aware of it. I'm start, I get now two to three referrals a week for POTS because people actually know about it. Um, mm -hmm. Part of the problem was before they'd go see 30 doctors and no one even thinks POTS. They just think they're crazy or they have this mm -hmm. or that. And, you know, no one ever thinks it's POTS. Um, but now because of there's more awareness, it creates its own problem because more people 
know about it and more people are diagnosing it and sending them to the right professionals to get it treated. So I think the awareness of it is going up, which is leading to more diagnosis, which is not like more people have it. It's just more people are recognized and being treated appropriately sooner, which is what we want. The, the problem was before they'd go a really long time, never be diagnosed and, and no one would ever know they have it. Um, and it would be a long time before they're treated. Now we're seeing them sooner and sooner and getting them treated sooner, which is a good thing. Most definitely. I mean, the awareness definitely has, I think, gone up because of COVID and the long haulers, you know, citing that it's a, you know, um, something they struggle with after getting COVID. And I think that's bringing, bringing attention and awareness to the general population. Um, okay, we're getting to the end here. Do you have anything else that's like pertinent to the topic of POTS that you would like to share? I, th I think we've gone over everything, but one thing I will tell people especially if you think you have POTS, please don't stop pursuing it. Because unfortunately, most people, you and I don't mean this in a bad way, but most physicians or nurse practitioners or PAs or whoever you see as your general uh, practitioner, most people are unaware of the disease. That doesn't mean you don't have it. They might write you off as, well, you're the problem patient or you're the one with anxiety. Right. Or whatever it might be, they might write you off as uh, we don't know what this is and they'll just keep kind of blowing you off. But please pursue and keep trying and keep trying until you find a person who understands this illness and can treat you and get you better. And uh, and, and I don't think it's because they're callous. I don't think your other physicians or anyone else you're seeing are cold or callous. I just think they don't know your your eye, your mind only see your what's that? What do they say? Your your eyes only see what your mind knows. If you don't even know about POTS and a patient comes right at you screaming POTS, but you've never heard of it or you never thought about it before, you never treated it before, you're not going to think POTS. But if they come to me, the second they say two words, I already know. Um, so if you are a person that thinks you have this, please keep pursuing it and talking to people until you get treated or you know into the appropriate type of therapy or whatever it might be. But definitely don't just give up on yourself if you don't know, like I always tell people, no one cares about your health more than you do. Like I tell my patients this all the time. You have to be your number one advocate. Yes. I care about you and I, I love taking care of you and I treat you like family and I love all my patients, but I still don't care about you as much as you should care about yourself. Um, no matter, I mean, that's just human nature. You should care mm -hmm. about yourself more than anyone else. Same thing with like your finances. You know, you can't just hand over your checks to the financial advisor. You have to know and care about your finances more than anyone. Um, and it goes for a lot of things in life, but either way, definitely just stay persistent, stay uh, trying and, and, you know, get, get to the bottom of it, get your answers, get to the right people who can, who can help you. Most definitely. Well, this was super helpful, uh, Dr. Allo. And I do thank you for coming on my channel today and, and, you know, helping us understand POTS better. It was uh, very informative. Thanks for having me.